Is Jesus a greenie? Is Jesus a greenie? That's our big question today. Uh, really what we're talking about is environmentalism and God. And so we've, um, we've been tackling tough questions over the past four weeks. And this is our last one. So I'm, I'm hoping you've had a, had a good time with them. I'm hoping those questions have been answered. Um, and uh, if you missed any, you can always go back and look at our, or listen to our podcast um, or on the website too. Things usually arrive quicker on the podcast than they do on the website. It's a few days sort of in between. So there you go. This is our last tough question. Now, I, I grew up, uh, well, I guess in the 80s and 90s, uh, environmentalism was, was for the greenies. They were the flower power people, the hippies, uh, the tree huggers. Um, and they were on the fringe. So they were seen as the alternative back then. They dressed differently. They, they spoke differently. Um, they lived differently. If you cared about the environment, you basically had to be one of those types. Uh, certainly not mainstream or even very, well, not very fashionable. Today, um, that wasn't meant to be funny. Um, <laughs> today, though, things have changed, haven't they? See, if you're not green, so to speak, well, you, then you're not mainstream. Now, of course, I'm not talking about political leanings. Today, everyone cares about the environment. It's a good thing. It's not even fashionable. It's just a given. Ecological consciousness is part of the air we breathe. So, how should Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus, how should we respond to today's environmental concerns or crisis? Are you worried? Uh, is, there really, is, is this really the end of the world if we do nothing, as some movements uh, say? Perhaps you're resigned to this being the new normal. You know, there's, there's nothing I can really do. Or perhaps you're apathetic. You just don't care at all. Um, perhaps you are confident. Or you're a sceptic. You don't believe any of this stuff. Uh, well, today, what I want to do, I want to explore, uh, if only as a way of introduction, perhaps put a framework on our thinking. I want to explore the Bible's teaching on environmental issues. I guess we're going to answer the question, is Jesus a greenie? Uh, but really, we're going to talk about environmentalism and God. And where does, where does the Bible fit into this, um, these issues that, we're, that are very, very uh, uh, prominent today? Now, you're probably aware that Christians have responded in different ways to climate-related issues. So did you know that? Did you know there's a Bible called the Green Bible? It's not about the pages or anything like that. So you've probably heard of red-letter Bibles uh, with the words of Jesus in red. Um, I'm not a big fan of those, by the way, although I do have one right here there. Um, I think it sort of implies that those words are more important than others when it comes to um, uh, the teaching of God's word. And it misunderstands the translation process and it, it misunderstands, well, it minimises the apostles uh, themselves. And Jesus certainly didn't do that. But what about this green Bible? Well, I've got a little picture of it here. Um, that's the green, and it's partly green, isn't it? Um, I believe the pages have been full recycled paper and everything. Um, here's how the preface describes this or how it works. So, in it, we highlight the rich and varied ways the books of the Bible speak directly to how we should think and act as we confront the environmental crisis facing our planet. 
Essays from respected conservationists and theologians highlight important themes related to God's care of creation and show how to read the Bible through a green lens. Now, if that makes you a little bit uneasy, good, good, I'm pleased. You see, friends, instead what the Bible teaches us is to see things the other way around. That is, let's approach environmental concerns through the lens of God's word. For the Bible is the word of God. It's therefore the authority on all things. So here's the plan. If you've got an outline there in the bulletin, you can get that open. What we're going to do, we're going to take a step back. We're going to see the big picture. We're going to get a framework and see how God's plan and purposes for our world help us to think and act when it comes to the ecological issues that are around us today. Um, so have your Bible, if you want to have your Bible open too, we're going to spend a bit of time in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to have that open too, and then uh, later on in Hosea. So, well, why don't we do this? Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at creation. Our creation, God and us is the first point in the outline. So Genesis chapter 1 tells us, I'm going to have it open as well, Genesis 1 tells us that we humans have been created in God's image. And so this involves having dominion or rule over God's good world, Genesis 1 and 2 tell us. So Genesis 1 verse 26, you've got it open. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So this means that we have responsibility to work and to keep God's creation. So if we go down to, it's probably on my Bible, it's the same, or just over the page, Genesis 2 verse 15. 2 verse 15 there it is, tells us the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So it's right for humans to take an active role towards the world. We are, uh, we're not just park rangers. You know, I love park rangers. What park rangers do is they keep things as they are, really. Um, They make sure nothing happens to the park, the environment, the world. That's what they do. But God wants us to be active, Not only to work, but also to keep God's creation. To work and to keep. So if we go back to Genesis 1 and verse 28, God wants us to fill the earth and subdue it. So in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we should use... Uh, both use God's world for ourselves and our needs and also to care for the world, work it and to keep it, remembering that the world belongs to God too. But sadly, in our world today, this ideal situation is uh, tragically marred. Genesis 3 then goes on to describe how humanity disobeyed God and decided for themselves what was right and what was wrong. The Bible calls this sin, and it has devastating consequences, not only for our relationship with God, so death and judgment, but also for our relationship with our world. When God's image bearers, remember chapter 1, Genesis 1 verse 26, when God's image bearers sin, well, what we do, we fail to rule the world rightly. We say, you know, go away, God, I'm going to put the crown on my head, I'm going to rule and do things my way. That doesn't end well. 
And tragically, too, when we do this as image bearers of God, well, we're all caught up in this together. And so Hosea 4, I've got this on the screen, Hosea 4, 1 to 3 is a good example of how this works itself out in creation. So hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed flows bloodshed. Because of this, because of this selfishness and sinfulness, what happens? Well, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish in the sea are swept away. Now, a good example of this, a more modern example, uh, I think probably played out fairly in the last year or so, is the um, Amazon rainforest fires. If you know a bit about the example and the story, it's human sin at work. And it was a disaster, although in terms of damage done and environmental damage, it's nothing compared to what we've gone through in the last few months over here. But it's not easy to isolate the human sin to just one cause in situations like what happened in Brazil. There are always, in fact, a whole complex interconnected web of issues with sin impacting each issue in some way. But there'll be greed. So in this example, so Amazon rainforest fires, there's, there's greed on the part of the industrialists who are clearing land for personal profits without regard to the consequences. That's been happening for a long time. Uh, there will be a lack of government regulation due to the, well, really incompetence um, and inevitably, I think, to corruption somewhere in the chain. And there'll be political manoeuvring for personal power. There'll be effects of past exploitation and injustice. And that creates situations where individual farmers need to clear land just to survive. And of course, there'll be the collective habits of greed and haste and wastefulness, including those among you and I here today in Australia that demand cheap, fast, good food year-round at any time of the day or the night. And therefore we create markets where there is a profit in relentless land clearing. So sin is devastating and tragic. Uh, it has awful effects. And the Amazon fires is one example. There's plenty more. Uh, another one is plastic waste in our oceans. Um, as a, as a surfer, that's very close to my heart. Um, no one likes duck diving and waving getting a plastic bag over your head. Uh, but again, it's the direct result of human sinfulness, I think. Uh, not only human laziness and selfishness, but it's government inaction in not providing adequate resources and instead directing resources to, to well, re-election is often the case. Both these examples are devastating to the environment, let alone people's lives. But friends, our, our first response to situations like this should be to weep and to mourn for our world and for human sin, our sin that causes such devastation. Because the truth is, sin, that's our rejection of God, is the real problem. That's the real problem when we look at these issues we can and we should enact laws, petition governments, make changes to our lifestyles, and we'll get back to that in a moment, all for the sake of the environment and our neighbours, but it won't really solve the deeper issue. 
back in year 10, I had, um, I had chicken pox uh, and, uh, it, you know, you break out in these horrible spots and that sort of stuff. I've got a picture for you now. Oh, no, just kidding. Um, I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, and at, at the time, um, I, remember, I remember I was really thankful for calamine lotion. You know, calamine lotion? I used to have baths in the stuff. I think I watered it down a little bit. Um, and you meant to water it down a lot. Uh, <laughs> it was soothing and it stopped the itching, you know, uh, and therefore the scarring, that's what it was meant to do. The itching was, if you itch too much, it would cause scars. I've got a few in my face um, from my scratching. Uh, but the lotion, the baths, it didn't fix the problem, did it? It didn't fix the chickenpox virus in my blood. Ultimately, the virus had to be dealt with and not the spots. <clears throat> when it comes to environmental concerns, we need to see that human sin is at the root of these problems. That's what we must see. That's the virus. That's the deeper and more important fundamental issue. And when we get that, we can start to see, well, we can start to see where our true hope lies. Well, let's now turn to our New Testaments. Uh, it's actually point three in your outline, the Christian life. Oh, there's a, some plastic waste. Uh, Christian life in the future. In our New Testament, we meet, we meet the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is truly God and also truly human. In fact, Jesus is more truly human than any of us. We humans are supposed to rule the world rightly. Uh, in obedience to God. But when we look around our world, we don't see humanity ruling rightly, do we? What we often see is humanity, I guess, wrecking the world. Uh, plastic in our oceans, for example. And you can find other examples. But if we go back to that example there, what we see is really we see greed, we see waste and haste and, of course, incompetence all tied up together, creating situations where well, whole marine ecosystems are changing for the worse. We, we see uh, fish and sea creatures dying prematurely. But Jesus is the man who never rejected God. The man who always lived for God, he is the human being who rules the world rightly, under God. Now, the good news is that Jesus hasn't left us to face death, God's judgment. And the tragic effects of sin in our world by ourselves. 2,000-ish years ago, Jesus entered our mucked-up, death-bound world. He became one of us. Why? Well, Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, So that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So our sin means that we are under God's death sentence. But Jesus took that death on himself though he didn't deserve it. He suffered and died in our place. In dying and rising from the dead, Jesus took the curse of God upon himself and gave and gives us life and freedom and forgiveness. So this means then, for those who trust in the Lord Jesus, for those who are in Christ, the Bible says, we have a sure and certain hope for the future. Revelation 21 and 22 gives us a picture of the new heavens and a new earth, a place where relationships are made right again, a place where there's no death or mourning or weeping or crying or pain, where God lives with his people and people live in harmony with God's world. 
rightly ruling under God. In our own world, devastated by sin, where we might be tempted to despair, this hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ can and should sustain us and equip us to live. You see, despair is hopelessness. And no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, despair should never be the response of those who are in Christ. But tragically, it is the response for many grappling with today's environmental issues. It's utter despair. In, in Sydney, and really across cities, across Australia, it was uh, uh, late-ish last year, um, towards the end of the year, I think, thousands of young people gathered together striking from school, uh, really uh, in, in protest, uh, using their words, I, I believe, in protest for the lack of action governments were taking in regards to climate change. Now, I'm not going to get into, I'm not a fool, I'm not going to get into the, uh, whether this was a good thing or not, um, but what, what struck me as I watched interviews and read things and saw placards and so on, what struck me was the despair, uh, the fear, the complete lack of hope in mostly young people, teenagers and even younger. Through tears, and at one point she stopped and couldn't speak, this young girl who was interviewed on ABC News, uh, she was probably 13, she said this, she said, if they're, as politicians, if the politicians are not going to change anything, what's going to happen to humankind, she said? What's going to happen to the whole world if no one does anything? And she stopped and she, she cried, she openly wept. And she had her friends around her and they hugged her and so on. It wasn't an act. It wasn't an act at all. It was real. Utter hopelessness. And that's a life without Jesus. A life caught in the messiness of our sinful world. Sick with the virus of sin. It's a life that finds its hope in what is, in the end, temporary. And that's our environment. Now, the good news of the gospel means that we do not despair for the future. In Jesus, whatever comes of this earth, we have a real and certain hope, a future that will never perish, spoil or fraid. Uh, we don't put our hope in what's temporary, if you're a Christian person. We put our hope in what's eternal. Now, what does all this mean for us today in terms of applying this, I guess? Does it simply mean we resign ourselves and do nothing? Uh, it's a very unbiblical phrase. We let go and let God. Uh, <laughs> no. Are we, are we to be so heavenly minded that we have no earthly use? Someone said this to me the other day. Uh, material things such as the environment, well, they don't matter because we are spiritual. We're above all that. Focus on the spiritual things, not the material things. What's the right Christian response? Well, it's not sitting around twiddling our thumbs, that's for sure. We're to get busy. We're supposed to act in accordance to who we are in Christ. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. There's a particular girly kids movie um, that I put up with when Eve was young. Um, it's called The Princess Diaries. You might have heard of it. Uh, there's Anne Hathaway. Couldn't believe she didn't win an Oscar for this role. Jeez. Anyway, she, um, she's, uh, it's about a high school girl and uh, called Mia, who's shy and unpopular. But Mia learns she's actually the biological heir to the throne of a kingdom called Genovia. 
Anyone seen this movie? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Excellent. Um, she's the great hope for the kingdom of Genovia. She's the heir apparent, right? And the movie is all about how Mia learns to act like a real princess. Uh, she doesn't start reigning in Genovia straight away. Instead, for some reason, which I can't remember or never really cared about anyway, um, she's still in high school in the US, right? But even while she's going to school in the States, she has to learn how to talk properly and practice walking with plates on her head, do princessy stuff. She's got to learn to do that. Mia really is the heir of Genovia. So she has to act that way, even before she gets there. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, if you're a Christian person, you follow the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are heirs to the throne. Uh, I've got a, a, a fair bit of uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 4 up in front of us. We have been raised with Christ as God's new humanity. We've been saved by Christ and our job will be to rule his new world. Therefore, the apostle says and instructs his readers to start living that way on a daily basis now, just like Mia. Right? Start living as a princess now. You will rule one day in Genovia. Start living for Jesus' return as we wait to rule. So when we get to Colossians 3 verse 5, you see there it says we're told to put to death what is earthly in us. Put to death our old way of life. Now think about that for a moment. Think how that will make a difference in our world. Put to death our old way of life. For example, put to death greed. That'll have an impact then on, on how and what we consume, won't it? Think it through. Colossians 3 then continues by instructing those who are in Christ to put on love, which uh, binds together patience and kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Jesus tells us that we are to respond to God's love by loving our neighbour, Luke chapter 10. Loving our neighbour isn't something that is meant to be bound or limited. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a wider sense to the command, a sense that bursts through the boundaries uh, we like to set up for ourselves. And since we and our neighbours are not separate from the world, loving our neighbour will also, will also involve doing what is right by the world. So, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ affects our lives in the here and now. It affects the way we treat God's world. It affects the way we treat our neighbours, who are many and varied. I reckon there's four ways we can respond as we tie a few things together. Here's the first. We ought to pray. The first response is to pray. The issues here are very complex, and we've just got a bit of a framework from today. They're interconnected, and it's easy for us to really despair. It's easy to get caught up in the despair. That's not what Christians ought to do, because we have the hope of the Lord Jesus. God is more powerful than any ecological issue that this world throws at us. Another response is on an even more personal level, and it involves repentance. When we hear about environmental disasters, when we hear about the greed of multinationals or simply governments, 
it should remind us of the tragic seriousness of sin. It should give us reason to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves if we need to lament and weep over our personal greed or to confess our sins to God and to consider ways we ourselves could put greed to death. So here's the, here's the big question, I think, the million-dollar question. Are you living a lifestyle that is thoughtless, that rarely looks beyond your own turf? We need to remember loving our neighbour means all our neighbours across the planet. Maybe that's what we need to repent of and say sorry to God. How about this third one? Love. I encourage you to think about ways that you can actively love your neighbour uh, by taking steps to minimise your environmental impact. Uh, to minimise pollution, to minimise landfill, to minimise waste. And I encourage you to think about ways that you can actively love your neighbour by even supporting organisations that uh, promote the right use of God's creation. There's a, there's a few good Christian ones out there, um, uh, good Christian environmental advocacy groups that work towards that. Uh, there's one, I, did, I should have put up on the screen with the logo and everything, I, I forgot to, I'm sorry about that. One called A New Word Rocker. Um, the, it's a long story about the name, but that's, if you remember that, um, or ask me and I'll write it down for you. Uh, good Christian organisation involved with environmental advocacy and so on. See, since the problems in our world are a mix of, of complex factors, it's not always to know, not always straightforward, isn't it, to know exactly what action will help. And these organisations, I think, help us with that and uh, help us to make a difference. One more thing we can do. And that is we, do, we need to proclaim. Uh, the final response, we might seem a bit weak and ineffective at first glance. Uh, we're always told to do this. Yeah, you're right, we are always told to do this. But in the end, it's actually the most powerful response of all as Christian people. It's to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends and your family and your neighbours. That's because, that's because what the world needs most of all is Jesus. That's what the world needs more than anything else. He's what we need. Uh, he's what that 13-year-old girl in Sydney in the protest needed. That's what she needs. It's what uh, Swiss activist Greta Thunberg needs. Jesus. When people come to trust in Jesus, the image of God is renewed and the world is set on the, on the best course. As people come to know and love Christ, they will put greed to death and they will live in love for others and the good world God has made. And they become people who, with, with Christ, will rule God's new creation forever and ever. How about we pray? Father, we, uh, we thank you for uh, the world you've given us. We thank you, Lord, that you've, you've tasked us to rule it and to keep it. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray that we'd love our neighbour as we think about our, um, our response. We pray, Lord, that we would be people who are not greedy, not wasteful. Uh, Lord, we pray, um, yeah, we pray, Lord, that uh, you'd help us with that. We, we pray we won't get caught up in the, in the despair and hopelessness that we often read, but we know we have a gospel that is full of hope and a sure and certain hope in the Lord Jesus. 
We know, Lord, one day this world will end. Um, it may not be for a very long time. We don't know. But, Lord, we know we have that sure and certain hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.